Welcome to Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. Thank you for joining us as we listen to another message from Pastor Daniel Shirley. Last week, we started talking on the subject of restoration. And I believe there's a lot of times in our life where we just kind of need to be restored. You know, it's not like we ever stopped loving God. It's not like we ever stopped wanting to do good. And it's not like we woke up one morning and said, man, I want to be broken into a thousand pieces. But it happens sometimes. Sometimes, for whatever reason, life hits us and we just get to where we feel like we're broken down. And how do we become restored? I believe that a lot of times there's some attitudes and some situations in our life that get us to a place where we can't come out of it. Sometimes, and and I've heard people say this over the years, and I've even said it myself, I don't even know for sure what's wrong, and I don't know how to fix it. I just don't feel the same as I used to feel. I'm just not the same as I used to be. I just want to be back at that place. And we look at that place as something that's afar off. I just want to be back at that place. I said last week, and we have this picture of a cathedral here. I've had the opportunity to go into some of the cathedrals in in the U.S. and in a couple outside of the U.S. And these cathedrals that were built centuries ago. St. Peter's Cathedral in New York City is one of them. Just absolutely magnificent. Absolutely, but... Most of these cathedrals, they've undergone some sort of restoration at some point. When I was in Boston last summer, we went into an old cathedral, one of the oldest in in the United States. This was the cathedral, and I would tell you the name, because you're going to pick up in a minute, I don't remember the name. But we went in, and this was the cathedral where they where Paul Revere hung the, the light saying that, that the, um, the redcoats are coming, right? So during Paul Revere, I mean, this is like old church, right? Old school. It's undergone a lot of rebuilds and things like that over the years. But when we were there, they had just finished a restoration. And they were talking about some of the things that they had to go through in order to restore this. Because you want to preserve the history of it and the integrity of it, but you want it to be restored to its former glory. And some of the things that they had to go through, one of the things, interestingly enough, is they had outfitted it with a sound system. But the amount of committees and things for this national landmark to just like put some speakers in. Yesterday, we installed new lighting in here, and all we did is start ripping stuff out and put it up, right? It doesn't work like that in a a cathedral that's, that's centuries old. And so... Just the the pains that they had to go through to make sure you get every detail right, that you preserve history with respect. It's crazy. It's just crazy. Then I think about our restoration and what we used to be, and and then how do we restore? How do we get back to that place and what has to happen? Well, there's a lot of a lot of pain that has to take place, and I don't mean pain in your life, like you have to go through pain in your life, but Jesus said that I counsel you to buy gold from me that's refined in the fire when he's speaking to the churches in Revelation. 
I want you to buy gold from me, refined in the fire, that you'll be purified. How many know that the fire hurts sometimes? Because you have to change things that you've been used to. You have to adjust things, and when God reveals things to you, you're like, man, that's not comfortable for me at all. I'm not really all over that. I'm not about that life. Well, what needs to happen in my life? What needs to change? And so we said last week, we talked about the children of Israel and how their journey out of Exodus is much like our journey. In fact, the scripture in Exodus and the story of, of the children of Israel, it's a type of the church coming out of bondage and coming into freedom. And we read in Isaiah 61, verse 1, and this is, this is prophesying of Jesus, and actually Jesus read these same words and said, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your midst. But in Isaiah 61, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prisons to those that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. How many know that today is the age of God's acceptance on you? It's the age of God's acceptance. I told somebody the other day who has spent so much of their life just trying to please everybody, and they let it just get to them whenever they don't please everybody. I told them, I said, you only have to please one person, and that's God, but you've already pleased him, and that's because of Jesus. That takes all the pressure off. You only have to please one person, God. And then Jesus did that for you. No pressure on me. No pressure on me. All I have to do is accept him and his goodness towards me. Amen? And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. You know, going back to that pleased for a moment, talking about pleasing. Sometimes we spend our life, and I hear this a lot, that I need to be at peace with God, or I just need to, to, to find my acceptance. And a lot of times we, we think this through works, that if I do this, it's going to please God. Well, I'm going to go to church so that I can please God. Church is not for God. Did you know that? Church is not for God. You're not here for God. You're here for you. Church is for you. I need to do this or I need to do, I'm a good person or, or I help out the poor or I do these things so that I can please God. No, the Bible only tells us one thing that pleased God ever. One thing. In Isaiah chapter 53, I think, it says, and it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased God to bruise Jesus. Why did it please God to bruise Jesus? Because he knew that by bruising Jesus, he gains all of us. It pleased God to bruise him. It's the only thing that the scripture ever says, please God. Then in, in Hebrews, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Well, what does that mean? Without faith in God bruising Jesus, it's impossible to please God. Because that pleased him. And so when I stand before God, he wants to know that I believe that Jesus Christ took my place. He wants to know that I stand there and I belong because of Jesus. That pleases him. That pleases him to know that he bruised Jesus on my behalf. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. He goes on in this passage. And he says to 
Proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort those who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion. And I call this the great exchange. He says, to give them beauty for ashes. In other words, Jesus took your ashes and he gave you his beauty. It says, the oil of joy for mourning. Jesus took your mourning and he gave you his joy. And then it says, and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Many times we talk about that, and it's been said, um, I, I grew up in, in the charismatic church and the faith church, that's what we are here, and I, I grew up, and, and when I grew up, we used to sing this song, put on the garment of praise for the spirit. You had to dance like this when you did it. Um, it was really kind of strange if we were to do it today, but we thought it was like the way to go, right? So we used to sing this song, well... I was studying this scripture, this is maybe 10 years ago, I was studying this scripture, and I noticed that every single thing in that passage has to do with what God did for me, it has nothing to do with me. It has to do with Jesus Christ, what God sent Jesus to do for me. And so then I read this, oh, okay, put on the garment of praise, so I need to put on the garment of praise. How do I do that? I wake up in the morning, I go in my closet, I pick out the praise shirt, I put it on. How do I put on the garment of praise? But then if I, read, if I read this, it says that Jesus exchanged my ashes for his beauty. He exchanged my mourning for his joy. And then he puts on the garment of praise towards me. He puts on the garment of praise towards me. So this is the picture that I get. I walk into the room. And God says, hey, everybody, listen up. I have a very important announcement to make because this here is Jason, and he's my beloved son. This here is Jason, and he it used to be broken, but he's not anymore. This here is my son, and I'm pleased with him because he's special in my eyes, because he's valuable. In fact, I gave up everything so that I could gain him. He lavishes us. And he clothes us with praises, garments of praise. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. He goes on. He says that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he may be glorified. And he shall rebuild or restore the old ruins and he will raise up the former places of desolation. The word ruins there, we talked about it last week. It means the things that have decayed. Do you have things in your life that have decayed? They've just gotten old over time. They've gotten rusted. They've kind of began to, wore out, to wear out. He repairs the things that have decayed. And then he goes on. He says, he shall raise up the former desolations, the things that have wasted. Do you have any opportunities in your life that you sit there and think, man, if I would have just done this, if I would have just done it differently, I wasted that opportunity and I'll never get it back. Do we ever think that sometimes? I think that sometimes. I look back. I'm a thinker. I think all the time. I let things build up. I think, my gosh, how great would my life be if I wouldn't have messed up that opportunity, if I wouldn't have made that stupid decision, if I wouldn't have done that. Ifs and buts were candy and nuts. We'd all have a Merry Christmas, right? <laughs> Coulda, shoulda, woulda, but we didn't. He said he will restore those places. 
that we've wasted. He'll raise up more opportunity. He'll raise up better opportunity. He'll raise up more chances for you. You haven't wasted it. It's not gone. I believe he's putting it in front of you. Amen? In fact, I believe this. I'm speaking this by the Spirit of God. There are people in here who have been thinking, man, I could have had this, but I wasted it. 2018 is your year of opportunity, so take your opportunity. It's your year of opportunity because he's restoring you. Amen? Praise God. He says, I'm going to raise up the former desolations, and they will repair the waste cities. When he talks about waste cities, it's the things that the heat has dried and cracked. Have you ever seen an old movie, an apocalyptic movie, where there's no more people, and you go, well, there's only one person, right? One person and zombies, right? So you go into that old place, you go into that old city, and what's there? Dried, cracked buildings, paints falling off, You've got the old saloon or whatever and the, the swinging doors, right, the, the louvered doors, and they're falling off the hinges. It's the waste places. It says that he is going to repair the waste cities and the desolation of many generations because today's your day of restoration. We talked about the children of Israel going into the promised land and what their promised land journey was. It was the journey to get you to Christ. Do you remember your first major victory? Maybe you don't, and that's okay. Well, we're going to talk about that today. Your first major victory. Your first major victory, and it was reinforced. It reinforced your decision. You had chosen to follow Christ, and then here's your first major victory. My gosh, what did the children of Israel do? They crossed through the Red Sea, which was called the Sea of Reeds, which meant that it was very difficult once you got in because the reeds would tangle you up, and you would fall down, and you couldn't get out. You would drown in the reeds and in the water and be another victim of the Red Sea, right? We have the Red Sea, treacherous. Well, their first major victory was Moses extended his hands out across the Red Sea after the people were complaining, what, did you bring us out here to die? Do they not have any graves in Egypt? Did you have to bring us out here to die or what? And Moses said, we got this. He extended his hands out. The Red Sea began to part, and God's people crossed over on dry land. That's a miracle. And when they came across the, the Red Sea and Pharaoh's army were drowned into the sea, they began to sing praises to God. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously because the horse and its rider have been thrown into the sea. And it's long. They were praising God for a good while. Well, then it was like five minutes later, and they were like, yeah, we sang a lot. We're thirsty, but that water's real bitter. I don't know that it was five minutes. It was a few days, week. In our time, it would be like five minutes, right? Man, God is so good. Ten minutes later, I hate my life. Why does nothing good ever happen to me? Well, they're just like us. This water is so bitter. Well, they were at a place called Marah, and Marah means bitter. Marah means bitter, so the water there was bitter. What's your Marah issue 
today? What's your Marah issue? What's your bitterness issue? Jesus talked about the sycamine tree, and I'm giving a recap today. You're like, man, we heard this last week. Do you have anything new? I do, but I'm going to get to it. That's why I'm going fast. I want you to stay caught up. And I know that there were some that were unable to, to be here last week. Jesus was dealing with bitterness and unforgiveness, and he said, if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, then you can cast the sycamine tree into the sea. You can say to the sycamine, be cast into the sea, and it will. And the sycamine tree has a, a, a very important meaning. The sycamine tree means that it has uh, deep roots. The sycamine tree, it was used to make caskets out of. The sycamine tree, it was very bitter. The fruit of it was very bitter. And the sycamine tree was pollinated by wasps. This thing bred bitterness. But Jesus said that if you had this much faith, you could throw it into the sea. Well, what did Moses do when they said, man, this water's bitter? We crossed over, we had our first major victory, and then boom, bitter water. Thank you, God. Isn't that what we do sometimes? And God's like, hold on a second. Why don't you take that tree? Is what Moses did. He took a tree and he threw it into the river, and it made it sweet. Jesus said, we can tell that root of bitterness to get up, go throw itself into the sea, and we have sweet water. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. So step number one to your restoration was this. Drum roll. Brrr. You guys got it? Step, there's nobody there? Step number one was this. Brrr. There we go. Deny the presence. You guys can't hardly read that. I'm sorry. Deny the presence of bitterness, regret, and revenge from restricting God's restoration power. You want to be restored? Deny the presence of bitterness. That's what you have to do. Bitterness, you do not have a place in me. So why don't you get up, throw yourself into the sea. Bitterness, you do not have a place in me. So the children of Israel, they're going through life in the wilderness. They have manna, which is not God's best for them, but it sustains them. God's best for them was the promised land. And then all of a sudden, they come up to the Jordan River. And we're going to talk about the Jordan River a lot here in the next 10 minutes or so. The Jordan River. The Jordan River here, Jordan River means freedom. It means freedom, so I want you to remember that. They come up to the Jordan River. Now Moses had gone on. He had gone to heaven. And they have a new leader, and his name's Joshua. And Joshua leads him up to the Jordan River. Well, the first thing that has to happen is they have to cross that Jordan River. And then they've got to take on Jericho, and we're going to talk about Jericho next week. But they go up to the Jordan River, and they have to cross it. Now, they're all freaked out about Jericho. But something that struck me is there was no hesitation about how they were going to get across the Jordan River. Do you remember the Red Sea? When they came up to the Red Sea, they were like, oh my gosh, we're going to die. We can't cross that. What are we going to do? Remember, I even said it today. Uh, did you just bring us out here to die, God? Or Moses? Moses, did you just bring us out here to die? The Jordan River, we didn't have any of that. They weren't freaked out by the Jordan River. Why? 
been there, done that. We already had a sea in front of us and God parted it. What happens with your next victory? Every victory gets a little bit easier. You just start expecting, you know what, my God just comes through. That's just what happens. The first time I saw that, that river that I had to cross, I was like, <gasps> now what happens? Uh, God's got that. It's not even that big a deal. We're going to cross over. Joshua 1.8. It says, this book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you will meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it, and then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. And then he says, have I not commanded you to be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord, your God, is with you wherever you go. This is what God spoke to Joshua when he said, Joshua, I want you to go and I want you to succeed Moses and lead my people. I want you to lead my people into the promised land. Joshua, this is your task. But I want you to pay attention to what I've told you. And if you pay attention to what I've told you, then you're going to be all right. And he says, very importantly, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Because the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Strong and courageous, it means this. To hold on. And they're, they're used in, in unison. It's very important that he says strong and courageous. It means to hold on with extreme grip and increase in the strength of your mind and the strength of your flesh. To hold on with an extreme grip and increase in your strength as you hold on. What do you hold on to? This book of the law. That will not depart out of your mouth, but you'll meditate on it day and night. If we hold on to the scripture with an extreme grip, and we're strong, and we're courageous. See, we're holding on with an extreme grip, but there's somebody trying to pull us off. Right? And so we're holding on with an extreme grip, knowing that the enemy doesn't stand a chance against the power of God. And as we're holding on, we're getting stronger and stronger and stronger. It's like a video game and we're charging up, right? You're holding on and you just keep charging and charging more and more and more. We continue to charge up and we get stronger in our mind and we get stronger in our spirit and we get stronger in our flesh. And then he says, do not, be, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. What he's saying here is do not be broken and do not be destroyed. Do not be broken and do not be destroyed. Don't fear and don't be dismayed. Why? Because you're hooked up to freedom. Because you're hooked up to freedom. And so when they go to cross the Jordan River, the priests were instructed. This is what Joshua told them, and this came from the Lord. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to go out, and I want you to put both feet in the Jordan. And you're carrying the ark. I couldn't stay up there for long. I was trying really hard. But I thought, hey, this is a good one because this is the Jordan River naturally, right? So put both feet in the Jordan. And you're carrying the ark of God. 
Now, the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of the Lord, as it was, uh, as it was referred to there, this is what contained at that time the Spirit of God, the Ark. The priests had to hold it because the priests were the only ones worthy to hold it. Well, the Scripture tells us in Revelation that we have been made kings and priests to our God. And that His Spirit lives in us now because of Jesus. So then they had to say the priests who contained the, the, the I can't think of the word, the, the priests who, uh, they were the only ones qualified. How about that? Does that work? They, I had like this great word and um, it just, it went away. The priests were the only ones that were qualified to carry the ark, to, to carry the spirit or the presence of the Lord. But today, every one of us are qualified because of Jesus to carry the Spirit of God. So what he said is, you step two feet in the Jordan, you're carrying the ark. And when you do, the waters are going to part. And when the waters part, you cross over into the promised land. So what did they do? They go out there, they put both feet in. And as soon as the ark reached the water, the power of God began to part the waters. See, the first time God moves in an area of your life, you stand in awe of his power. That's what the children of Israel did with the Red Sea. The first time God moved in their life, they were like, oh my gosh, did you see that water just parted and I crossed over on dry land? God did this for me. The first time that God moves in an area of your life, you stand in awe of his power. But when you walk in freedom every day, you are awestruck every day at his power. And you no longer have to seek the miracles in your life because your life is the walking miracle every single day. Your God, he goes before you with miracle after miracle after miracle preparing your way. See, it was no longer, wow, I can't believe that God did that. No, this is the norm in my life. This is how I roll every single day. God goes before me, and he prepares a way for me because I contain his spirit. Let's fast forward to the book of Kings, chapter 5, and we see a story here of a man named Naaman. Naaman was a warrior. Naaman fought against the armies of God. But Naaman had leprosy. And one of the, the girls that Naaman took captive came to him because Naaman, he wasn't unjust in the way that he handled himself. He was respected. And so one of the girls came to him and said, look, I know that you have leprosy. Well, there's a prophet in my home country that can heal you. You need to go and you need to see him. You need to go and see this prophet, Elisha, and he'll heal you. So Naaman went and he sought out, and through a series of events, he finds Elisha. Now, 
Elisha, when he heard about Naaman, he sent his servant to go and speak to Naaman. And when the servant went and spoke to him, he said, I want you to go and wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Here's the Jordan River again. I want you to go and wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times. Now we know that the Jordan River, it means freedom. But the Jordan River physically was an ugly river. Like you didn't swim in the Jordan River. It was an ugly river. Tarnished, dirty, murky. He said, I want you to wash in the Jordan River. So 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 10, it says, And Elisha sent a messenger to him, and he said, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you'll be clean. Knowing that the Jordan River wasn't something that people just, it wasn't a vacation spot, right? We didn't say crystal clear waters of the Jordan. Never. It was like the murky, muddy, gross water of the Jordan. Would you like some oceanfront property at the Jordan? Right? But he tells him, I want you to go and wash in the Jordan. Why was it important? Because it meant freedom. It meant freedom. See, your restoration will always require you to lay down your defenses. Your restoration will always require you to lay down your defenses. Man, I'm not washing in that. Are you kidding me? How can you wash in that? Yeah, I'm going to go wash in that, and I'm going to come out nastier than I was before. I'm going to wash in that, then I'm going to go home and take a shower. It's like swimming in the Pecos. Smell like carp all day. <laughs> Go wash in the Jordan seven times. Verse 11, it says, but Naaman became furious. How many times on our promised land journey, on our restoration journey, do we become furious? I'm not doing that. Are you kidding me? That is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Naaman became furious, and he went away. And he said, Surely he'll come out to me and stand and call on the name of his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. See, Naaman had in his mind how restoration was going to come. It's dangerous when we have in our mind how restoration is going to come. Because he said, oh, what I thought was going to happen is I would say, hey, I have leprosy and I'm this leader and Elisha comes out and he's like, thank you for allowing me to heal you. God, please heal him. And the leprosy is cleared. See, but that wasn't a promised land journey for him. That wasn't a place that was going to bring restoration to his life. Because he needed to go and wash in freedom. He needed to go and wash in the Jordan. And not only wash in the Jordan, but he needed to go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Seven times. Get it all over you. Become immersed. See, your restoration will always require you to humbly submit to the voice of God. Your restoration will always require you to humbly submit to the voice of God. Verse 13. 
And his servants came near and they spoke to him and they said, My father, if the prophet would have told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? It's not that hard. Go and do it. Did you know this? Many times, I'm about to get real for a minute. Not that I've been fake this whole time, but. Sometimes people will come to me and they'll say, hey, can we talk about this or can we talk about that? And so we talk about situations in their life and nearly every single time, I would say 98% of the time, we take a scripture and I say, go home and read this scripture. Write down things that you learned from this scripture. Ask God to teach you from this passage. See, because when you do that, then you're holding fast to liberty, right? And you're not letting go. I had somebody one time tell me, well, I thought, most people I think think that, I, okay, most is not a good word. I, I apologize for that. Strike that from the record. Some people, they come, and they say, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then they go, and they don't do it, and they wonder why they're not restored. One person had the audacity to tell me, well, I thought today you were going to tell me something that would help me. And I said, well, I only know one thing that's going to help you. I could have blew smoke this whole time. Blowed, I could have blowed smoke this whole time. But I only know one thing that's going to help you. And that's the word of God. I only know one thing that stands the test of time. I can tell you what I think all day long. Nobody cares what I think. But there's only one thing that you can build your life on. There's only one thing that the scripture tells us is the rock that cannot be moved. And that's the word of God. It's what changes. It's what changes. And so he said, here's what you need to do. You need to humbly submit to the voice of God. So just wash and be clean. Wash and be clean. So your restoration will always require you to put both feet in to freedom. Do you remember the children of Israel? Do you remember what they had to do in the Jordan? They carried the presence of God, and they had to put both feet in. And when both feet were in, then the waters parted. When both feet were in, he said, no, you don't go and you sprinkle yourself with the Jordan. I don't want you to go and just dip your toe in the Jordan. I don't want you to go and just see how cold the Jordan is. I want you to get yourself in the Jordan. I want you to get yourself into freedom today. That's what I want you to do. And I don't want you to just barely get in. I don't want you to wade up to your knees in the Jordan. I want you to wash yourself in the Jordan, not one time, but seven times in the Jordan, to where the Jordan is all over you, to where the Jordan is sinking into you, to where you become shriveled up with the Jordan, because you're shriveled up with freedom today, because we're going to be restored today. We can't just do it halfway. It's not going to be about going and just putting a coat of paint on, because you put a coat of paint on, you're not hiding anything that's behind because your foundation is still crumbling, because your walls are still coming down, 
and you try to cover it up with a little bit of paint, it's not going to work. I want you to get both feet in and wash in the Jordan. He says, so he went down and he dipped seven times in the Jordan. This is verse 14. According to the saying of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Seven times, and he was clean, because your restoration will always require a consistent soaking in the voice of freedom. Your restoration will always require a consistent soaking. Sometimes we think, oh, I'm feeling bad today. Let me go to church, and let me get that little shot so that I can feel better. But it doesn't last for long. It's like a Red Bull. I need to drink me a Red Bull so I'll be all right. And then you crash in four hours. Well, I'll drink a five-hour energy. No crash, right? No, a consistent soaking in the voice of freedom. This isn't a quick fix. This is a lifestyle. But I guarantee you that if you'll commit yourself to the lifestyle, you'll be restored. I guarantee it. If you'll commit yourself to freedom, you'll be restored. If you'll commit yourself to the Jordan, you'll be restored. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, before I go there, just quickly, I find it interesting that Jesus, when he was baptized by John, in every gospel, it says he was baptized in the Jordan. And it makes a point to say there's only like two verses, three verses that are dedicated to Jesus being baptized by John. Not much. But in those short passages, it says he was baptized in the Jordan. You could say, oh, well, that's where John baptized. No, I don't think it was an accident that that's where John baptized. Because when we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into freedom. John baptized in freedom. Jesus, before he went out in his ministry, it was important that he was baptized in freedom so he could go out and he could be a messenger of freedom. So he could go out and he could share the good news that your chains are broken and you've been set free. Hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19, it says, So my friends... Jesus, by his blood, gives us the courage to enter into his most holy place. He has created for us a new and living way through the curtain that is his flesh. Since we have a great high priest who presides over the house of God, let's draw near with full hearts of faith and a heart rinsed clean from any evil conscience and with bodies cleansed with pure water. Let us hold strong. There's that hold strong again. Let us be strong and courageous. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Who is our hope? Jesus is our hope. Let's hold fast to the confession of Jesus, our hope, never wavering since the one who promised is faithful. So let's consider how to inspire each other to greater love, to greater righteous deeds. What did I tell you earlier today? If you're just coming in and you sit in a chair while I'm happy that you're here, you're getting this much of the experience. Because we need to consider one another. 
We need to inspire one another. We need to help one another. See, your healing is in your outreach. Your eventual healing, your, your completion is in your outreach. You think, man, I'm too messed up to help somebody else. How many like it when somebody's real? You like it when somebody's real? Can we come to you and just say, you know what? I'm broken, but Jesus is working on me. I'm broken, but Jesus is working on me. Can he work on you too? Come with me. He's helped me. Come with me. I need a buddy in my healing process, right? I need a hand to hold in my healing. I need somebody to go along with in my healing because I know that you're broken and I know that I'm broken. Let's go be made well together. Everything's better together. So we walk together. He says, let's inspire one another to greater love and righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather together as community, as some have forgotten, but encourage one another, especially as the day of his return approaches. We're talking about the Jordan, and we're talking about washing in the Jordan and, and, and the freedom that, that is in Christ as we immerse ourselves in him. Galatians 3.10, it says, For as many of you that were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You have put on Christ. So the second step in your restoration is this. Completely immerse yourself in freedom. Number one, deny the presence of bitterness in your life. Revenge, regret, deny the presence in your life. Number two, completely immerse yourself into freedom. Next week, we're going to talk about Jericho because Jericho was a big deal for the children of Israel. I know it's the week after Thanksgiving. I know that you're still going to be in a food coma. But you're going to find a way to get up at 5 a.m. on Black Friday and get your shopping on. You're going to go stand in line at midnight at Walmart and be knocking people out over $3 towels, right? Be here next week. We're going to talk about the third step to your restoration and how we overcome our Jericho. So important. If you're not able to be here, you're going out of town, you're traveling, please be safe as you travel. Watch us online, okay? Thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Word of Life Church, please visit us on the web at wolcarlsbad.com. Thank you and have a great week.